Has the COVID kerfluffle got you down? Have you been sitting in your house contemplating life's decisions, regrets, and opportunities? I've been thinking a lot about the Fish Stories archive lately and how it can help people during this crisis. Maybe it can offer an escape. It can help you get to know anglers from all around the world without actually meeting them in person. It can offer a chance for you to record some of your favorite fishing memories or a conversation with an angler in your household and preserve that forever. Times like these are what the archive was made for. I was reminded of this once more when my friend Jim Bustle, Rapid City angler and paramedic with the Rapid City Fire Department, sent me a message a few days ago about a recent positive fish story he had to tell. Listening to it brought a really big smile to my face, and I wanted to make sure it was available to others who might need some positivity right now. It also made me want to ask the Fish Stories ambassador team if they would be willing to share some positivity with the world. Today on the podcast is a compilation of uplifting stories from a few of the Fish Stories' most faithful anglers. Jim Bustle starts us off with the story that started it all. Thanks, Jim, for what you do and for spreading some positivity during the COVID-19 pandemic. All right, so I'm Jim Bustle, and this is my fish story. So um, I'm a paramedic for the Rapid City Fire Department, and last Friday night I was working on a paramedic unit, and myself and, and uh, another paramedic, paramedic unit were called downtown to Memorial Park in Rapid City. Now, Memorial Park is this really pretty park right in the center of downtown. It's next to the Rushmore Plaza Civic Center. And uh, kind of the centerpiece of it all is this little pond. It's probably, a I don't know, three or five acre pond. And um, Game Fishing Park stocks it. There's trout in there. And, and there's all kinds of other fish that end up getting stocked in there by people. There's bass and there's some panfish. There's even a few pike swimming around in there. But Memorial Park, it's kind of had its issues the last few years. Uh, there are issues with vagrancy and, and public intoxication, and there have been fights and things like that. And Memorial Pond has also taken uh, several lives in the last few years. Uh, people intoxicated trying to swim across the pond, and they drown. So... It can be sort of a problem area, which is sad because it's, it really is a beautiful park. So we get dispatched down there for, for a medical call, and, and we take care of that issue, and we take care of another issue while we're there. And So we arrive, and, and I can't even remember a time when I saw more people passed out and openly drinking in public and urinating on trees. That's no joke. I've never seen more people engaging in that activity at one time. Uh, and it was a beautiful night, and that was the scene. It was ugly, and it made me sad. And right there in the middle of all of it was this little boy, and he was fishing with a, with a little kid's fishing rod, and he had this giant bobber on. And his grandma, she was sitting nearby uh, with a watchful eye, and she was trying to help him catch fish. And it was just really unexpected giving given everything else that was going on around us. So after we took care of business, we went over and talked to him. And his grandma told us that he's six years old and he had never been fishing until that night. He really, really wanted to try it out. So she packed up what gear they had and she brought him down to the park. 
And they get to the park and they see all kinds of fish jumping out in the water, but then they also see all of this squalor and hell that I kind of described before. So he was undeterred and he set to trying to catch fish. And she told us that they usually fish for pike. And so all they really had was a couple of really big bobbers and a huge treble hook. And then they stopped and got some night crawlers. And I, I know that they're pike in that pond. So I figured, you know, yeah, he might have a shot at catching a fish. So while I'm talking to grandma, well, one of the other guys, Randy Albright, he walks out on the dock with him and he helps him thread a night crawler onto this big treble hook. And Josh Wash walks out next to him, Josh Lang. He is a lieutenant on the ambulance. And they stood there and they talked about this incredibly gorgeous sunset that's going on. And they talked about fishing and they talked about fire trucks. And while they were doing that, I snapped a couple pictures. And the reason that I did was because I wanted to capture what was going right at that particular moment. You know, there in and amongst all of this sad societal commentary was this perfect, unscripted and pure interaction. And it made my heart really happy. And it made us all happy. And Randy, as a matter of fact, um, went the next day and he bought this little dude a brand new fishing rod. He bought him a life vest and put him together a tackle box that will help him catch all kinds of fish. There were Salmo hornets in there and he had some rapalas and spinners and hooks and weights and it was awesome. Well, we, um, we, we got the little guy's address that night. And, and so this afternoon while we were all on duty, we, um, we jumped in the ladder truck and we drove over to his house and we took him all this fishing gear and this new fishing pole. And the genuine happiness that he had was just infectious. All five of us that were there, uh, we all walked just a little bit taller for the rest of the shift um, today. And it was awesome. And I wasn't going to share it. I wasn't going to put it on social media. I, I didn't want it to seem self-serving and, um, but then I thought about it and I decided to, to share it and I decided to, to share our fish story for a couple of reasons. And one of the big reasons is right now with everything going on in the world and everything going on in our community, we all need a little bit of positivity. The second thing is I want to remind everybody that they need to find a little bit of good wherever they can. Um, I went from one extreme to the other in a matter of, of 10 footsteps that night. I went from addressing what's wrong in our community and, and taking care of, of a problem to watching what is absolutely right in a matter of feet and seconds. And it's so easy to get fixated on all of the nonsense going on around us. Uh, I catch myself doing it several times a day. And so I want to encourage people to find something good and latch on to it. So I shared on my social media that the boys were probably going to be bummed that I shared this. Because like I said, you know what, we, we didn't do it to, to be self-serving or anything like that. It was just, it was, it was something that, that captured us. Um, but I, th I think it's important that people know uh, what good people wear the uniform of the Rapid City Fire Department and the other hope that I have is I hope that this little guy's grandma forgives the three of us someday because uh, we just got her grandson hooked on the most addictive passion that he will ever know. I met Daryl Bauer at a trade show down in Lincoln, Nebraska in 2019. He told me some great stories that you should absolutely check out in the archive after this. For today, he shared a few recent blog posts that he had written, 
and his eloquent words come through even better when told out loud. I hope you enjoy them as much as I did. A lot of the times I stand in the water waiting for a big fish, my mind wanders back to fish caught and memories made. I learned a long time ago that standing in the water throwing crake mates can be a great way to catch walleyes in the fall, some of the biggest walleyes a person can catch. I spent a lot of time doing that on a variety of waters in a couple of states over the years. I've shared that experience with many different fishing partners, including my brother-in-law. I took my sister's husband, Rick, on a trip several years ago to catch some wise up in South Dakota. We camped in Rick's old tent. The brand name of the tent was Hillary. It was not funny then. It still isn't funny. Of course, it had a pole or two that had been bent and broke, and it took a stick of just the right diameter and length to fit inside a broken pole, and only then could the tent be raised properly. Good thing there was an abundance of trees where we camped. As I recall, the first night we fished was slow, really slow. Late that night, I caught one big walleye, but that was it. The next day, we did some scouting, checked out some spots had produced before. We walked down to one of my favorite spots, fished for a bit, and then quit to get an early supper before fishing the evening bite. I told my brother-in-law we needed to get a good hot meal because that evening it was going to be on, on like Donkey Kong. I do not think he believed me. But from past experience, I knew the weather and water conditions were perfect for the spot we were going to fish. The bait fish were present, and after dark, the big toothy predators we wanted to catch were going to be there too. And they were. After a hearty supper, we carried a thermos of hot tea onto the beach, along with a Tupperware full of brownies that my wife had set along on the trip. We left those on the beach and waited out to fish. After standing in the water catching fish for a while, an evening brownie and a sip of hot tea would keep us going. Sometime after catching the 23rd walleye, an hour or two after dark, we could hear some commotion on the beach behind us. We could hear Tupperware being knocked around. Raccoons were after our brownies. But we were catching fish and figured we'd not have to worry because, after all, raccoons couldn't open Tupperware. After catching and releasing more walleyes, we discovered that was wrong. As we waded back onto the beach, back to our hot tea and brownies, a gaze of raccoons parted in front of us. There lay our Tupperware container, topless, with only a handful of brownies left inside. Kindly, the coons had left some for us. Brownie crumbs littered the beach. I do not know and do not care if raccoons slobbered on the remaining brownies to mark them as their own. We ate them anyway. Guess I never developed rabies or distemper, but some evenings I do have a hankering for chocolate-covered crawdads. My brother-in-law has always seemed to be a little bit strange, but he's always been that way. After all, he is Pennsylvania Dutch. We brought those brownies along for an evening snack on a cool fall night, and we were darn sure going to gulp those we could before the raccoons did. As we stood on the beach savoring the few brownies that we had left, we could hear footsteps and rustling in the leaves. Flipping on a light revealed 247 raccoon eyes reflecting back at us. There was one raccoon that had a patch over his left eye, and I'm pretty sure he was the gang leader. Those bandits watched nearby as we ate brownies and sipped hot tea. We were surrounded by slobbering coons. Advancing a few steps in their direction would cause a retreat, but they would not leave. 
After relaxing a bit, as least as much as we could relax with 124 hungry raccoons spying on us, we finished eating our brownies and sipping tea and then grabbed the spinning rods and waded back into the water. The Tupperware with the remaining brownie or two was safely tucked into a spindly little cottonwood sprout as far as we could reach above the ground. I even boosted my brother-in-law higher up on my shoulders. We went back to catch and fish. The Tupperware immediately came down. Raccoons slicked up the rest of the brownies. I swear there was raccoon laughter on the beach behind us, but we didn't care. Thank goodness they could not get the lid off my Stanley thermos. Evening snacks now are carried safely on my person. My brother-in-law, sister, nephews, and niece now live in Montana. Rick and I have not shared a fall evening on the water in a long time. As I write this, several of them are deep in the Gallatins, bow hunting for elk. The trail cam left at their camp during the day while they are chasing elk has revealed that the brownie robin coons are quite a bit larger and more grisly than those we encountered years ago. I'm pretty sure the Tupperware gets hung quite a bit higher there. Fishing runs through my veins. I get it from both sides of my family. I have lots of memories of fishing with Gramps when I was a kid. He lived in Atkinson, Nebraska, and spent a lot of time fishing, hunting, and trapping in that beautiful part of our state. I have always looked forward to visiting Gramps. It seemed like every time we did, he had a story about some big pike he had been trying to outsmart on the Elkhorn River. He was always catching frogs and feeding them to the pike. Oftentimes, the pike would throw the hook and send the frogs back shredded. Another of Gramps' favorite fishing spots was Albright's Farm Pond. There are some beautiful farm ponds scattered throughout Nebraska, but when I was young, I was pretty sure that the farm pond Gramps fished was the best of them. The bass and channel cats were huge, and the bluegills were not half bad. Just had to make sure you checked for ticks when you got home. Many times we'd pull a seine through the Elkhorn River and get bait before we went fishing someplace, and I liked the seining bait as all much, all much, almost as much as I did the fishing. I learned my hook setting technique from Gramps. Long before famous bass jocks told us to reel down and set the hook hard, especially when fishing some kind of weedless bait, my Gramps had instructed me to jerk his eye teeth out. I never knew fish had eye teeth, and it was years later before I had any idea what eye teeth actually might be, but I've been setting the hook hard enough to jerk them out ever since. I get accused of setting the hook too hard to this day. Gramps had to be the luckiest man in the world. No, he did not always catch the most or the biggest fish, although he usually did very well. The reason I say he was so lucky is he seemed to find a shiny silver dollar on the bank every place we would fish. Albright's farm pond, shiny silver dollar. The gravel pit off the Elkhorn River, shiny silver dollar. Merritt Reservoir, another shiny silver dollar. I do not know how many times my cousin Robin or myself would be fishing near Gramps and he would look down, pick something up off the bank, and exclaim, Well, looky there, a shiny silver dollar laying right next to me here on the bank. There must have been a lot of holes in pants pockets back in those days. Come to think of it, wait a minute. Maybe Gramps did that to send us off on a hunt for our own shiny silver dollar laying on down the shoreline someplace. All I know is he must have had a pocket full of shiny silver dollars he had picked up from shorelines. Or maybe he had just one. 
To this day, if you're trailing my cousin or myself, you better make sure what we pick up is the real thing and not just one we happen to find. That can be done easily with arrowheads, not so much with morels or asparagus. Likewise, if you happen to find one behind us, one we appeared to miss, well, we might have left it there for you. We learned it from Gramps. Craig Euler is an angler from Rapid City Sodak. His claims to fame are Big Black Hills Lake Trout and the Hooked on Hardwater event for the club for boys in Rapid City. Craig's story is not so much about fishing, but more so about what fishing can do to people. Likely one of the many reasons Craig is so animate about promoting outdoor education with young kids. Thanks, Craig, for telling this great story, and thanks for what you do. One of the more impactful fish stories that I have really doesn't include me at all. Um, about five years ago, I was at a gas station, and I was filling up my pickup, and I noticed a guy was kind of looking at me and and kind of looking at me a little awkwardly, you know, and I'm like, I, I don't know the guy, so I just ignored him. Well, I got to, I got done filling up my tank, and I was getting ready to jump in my pickup, and the guy just yelled out, Oiler. Okay, now I know the guy, so I've got to pretend that I know him, you know, because I didn't recognize him. And as I uh, started walking up towards him, he says, hey, how is your dad doing? Is he still at the boys' club? And as soon as he said that, I knew exactly who this guy was. Um, as a kid growing up, and my dad spending, well, he's been at the Rapid City Club's boys for uh, 53, 54 years now, uh, he took a lot of boys fishing. And some of them showed more interest than others, so he would spend a little more time with those boys, and he would even include them on family outings. You know, if my dad and I were going to make a run up to Pactola, he'd call this guy's mom and and uh, ask if he could join us. And, and to me, I'll be honest, I was a little resentful just because now we got a third wheel on some of my father's son time. And, and I, I don't want that to sound negative because I, I did plenty of stuff with my dad, but um, I just, you know, I, I just remember thinking, oh, man, he's going again. But, you know, at the end of the day, it was someone to play with if the fishing was slow, and, and we always would stop and get snacks if we had one of those boys on. So it, it, it definitely worked out in my favor. But uh, so anyway, after him and I, you know, recognized each other and uh, I knew who he was, we started talking quite a bit and I asked him how he was doing, you know, and, and he said he's married and has kids and he asked me the same questions and and uh, he, he pulled out his phone and he started showing me pictures of his family and every picture he had, he was either hiking, hunting, camping, or fishing. Every picture he showed me, they were doing one of those things. And and I just recognized that. And I said, wow, that's really cool. You guys spend a lot of time in the outdoors. That's that, that's a great way to raise a family. And, and he started crying. And he says, you know, I tell you, if it wasn't for your dad in the Boys Club of Rapid City, goes, my life would have went a totally different route. And... He said, I was a good kid. I was a smart kid. I was still going to graduate high school, and I wasn't going to get in trouble and go to jail. But he goes, I can tell you with 100% certainty that my life is 
better because of the values your dad taught me out in the woods hunting and fishing. And and I tell you, you know, I, I think people don't realize the impact that they have when when they teach that younger generation a, a skill set like that because anybody can go fishing. It doesn't matter your age, uh, your race, your gender, nothing matters. You can go fishing. And it's something that is relaxing and rewarding and uh, you know, the time spent with family is just irreplaceable. So, you know, to me, and obviously with hooked on hard water and everything uh, around that, I, I value that importance of uh, teaching our younger generation a lot of these outdoor skills and, and the availability of everything we have. So uh, keep that in mind. You see, see someone younger... Uh, wanting to get into the sport, you know, help them out, get them set up, because it truly could make that person's life better. Angie Scott is the co-founder of the Woman Angler and Adventurer podcast. They recently won a big award that you guys should definitely check out. Her and Barb Carey are doing some awesome things as outdoor communicators, not only for women, but for everyone. Go ahead and check them out when you have time. Angie's story is a childhood memory that I think all of us can relate to. I hope you enjoy it. Hey, I'm Angie Scott with the Woman Angler and Adventure podcast, and I'm super honored to be an ambassador with Fish Stories. I think that the work that Buddy's doing to preserve these stories for future generations to hear is uh, super important. And uh, Buddy reached out and asked me to share a positive fish story from my life in this uh, crazy time that we're in where we really need to focus on positive things. And I started thinking back, I have so many throughout my life, but probably my ultimate favorite memory or story is from growing up. Um, I grew up in uh, kind of out in the country in in central Minnesota. And uh, my dad, uh, his brothers all kind of lived in the same area so I grew up with all my cousins we would ride bikes together and do all sorts of stuff and my grandparents house was also in the same area and so we were all a pretty close family but uh unfortunately when my grandma passed away fairly young of a brain aneurysm she was just in her mid-60s that kind of struck us and you know, us cousins were starting to get older, and I was the first one to move away. I went to Tennessee so I could pursue my dream of working in the music industry. And uh, I think that, you know, we we realized that we really needed to start doing things together more. And we started sort of a tradition that lasted several years where we would all take a week out of the summer go up to a cabin up at Lake Vermilion and well, we would rent out several cabins at one resort and just spend the week together fishing. And that just meant so much to me. I just really enjoyed that time. I love fishing anyway, especially since I had moved to Tennessee. It was kind of my outlet for the year to go back up and fish for walleye, which is my favorite fish to go after. And uh, it was just so much fun to be with all my family and have that time. And one of my favorite memories, I think this was the second year that we had uh, done this. And um, that since I had moved down to Tennessee and my dad, he was kind of giving me a hard time 
about, you know, these northern fish don't like these southern anglers coming up here or whatever, and you're not going to catch as many fish as the rest of us. We're all very competitive, especially when it came to fishing for walleye, because uh, there's this uh, kind of, I don't know, there's something special about getting a good walleye. Everybody loves to eat them. They're such a good tasting fish, uh, and it, it just kind of upped the competitiveness of it all. So anyway, I remember this one particular evening during the week and we were out, everybody, all of us were out in the same area fishing for walleye and nobody was catching anything. And I have no idea what it was, but every time I dropped down my, I think we were using night crawlers, uh, some sort of rig, probably drifting a little bit. And every time I dropped mine down, I get a walleye. I mean, time after time after time, and nobody else was catching anything. And they were all like, what in the world is going on? And uh, that was just such a cool moment for me. Uh, really just a fun memory. I just uh, just love fishing and how it brings families together. Brian Bro Brosdahl is a great storyteller, and he's just always entertaining to listen to. He's always got good tips and tricks and tactics, but today... He's got a fun story about something that is not so common in the fishing world. I dare you not to smile with this one. Hi, Brian Brosdahl here. I uh, I love fishing with a jig. Uh, it's one of my favorite ways to fish because basically you feel a bite and you set the hook. And a jig is a, a way to present bait at any level in the water column from shallow to deep. And uh, so it's lead attached to a hook, throw some color on it, add a little science to the, the patterns, and you've really got something. But in my neck of the woods, we're in a glacial lake area with a lot of clear water lakes, and uh, fish behave differently everywhere. Some areas, they love plastics. I mean, you can trick them easy. And in some areas, they uh, pull spinners and plugs out over open water here uh, they love live bait and live bait is a big deal and sometimes it's hard to get well i remember a time i was fishing on a lake a chain of lakes and going through the narrows from one lake to another little neck down i noticed a bunch of shiners and other minnows towards the bottom and uh caught my eye and I said well I'm going to try fishing for those someday well I, I did I, I went back the next time through the area and and I brought a a five foot uh, St. Croix panfish rod with some little tiny tackle box a little fly box with some uh, ice fishing lures uh, size 12 and size 14 uh, mud bugs and um and used little chunks of crawler to try to catch these shiners and uh, actually start catching them. And there's a real trick to it um, is is dropping it down. You can't set the hook because you'll flip the shiner way up in the air and they'll fly off your hook because you, you're only fishing in a couple feet of water. So you just drop it down and lift. And as you lift, you'll feel a little weight. And then so you sweep a little bit. And bring them over the live well because if you try to grab them they're about impossible to grab they move so much um, and just leave your live well open drop it down lift and let them fall off in the live well because they'll shake so much they they fall off the the hook 
Then I was catching shiners, but there's that perfect jigging size. And you'll catch little ones, you'll catch shiners that are big. I mean, shiners that would eat the walleye you're fishing for. But that perfect jigging size shiner was, there was a lot of them down there, but you had to kind of go through them. So fishing for them was actually kind of fun. And every now and then you catch a red tail, a big, beautiful red tail with rosy cheeks. And, you know, that's a guaranteed bite in my world. <laughs> and and creek chubs. And so I'm just catching what I need. I, I In a short amount of time, I put uh, 40 to 50 minnows in the live well. I said, that's way, way enough. And um, while I was fishing for the minnows, uh, there was trumpeter swans and... Uh, a lot of waterfall moving through. They kind of hang in the narrows and even seen some deer as I was moving through there on the shore. Um, really neat uh, to minnow fish is, in a lot of ways, it's a lot of fun. It's like fishing for little trout. And, um, you know, just a, a small fish that's bigger than another small fish that you're using for bait. And uh, I've actually fished for bait in saltwater and now I fish for it in fresh water. Uh, but this is, it's still legal too because uh, you're actually using it on the lake that you're fishing. And so uh, I caught uh, some bait and, and went out to the reefs. There's some rock piles out on the lake. And boy, the fish were hitting them. A couple of jigs I had a fish on right away with one of those shiners. And... Uh, and they didn't just nibble on it. It was in the back of their throat. And you realize the importance of uh, what they're normally feeding on. And it was so much fun. I mean, just to know that I just got those minnows on the way through from one lake to another. And and the fish were just slamming them. And you could try just about anything else and they wouldn't touch it. But they recognized that minnow uh, using a, a fireball jig quarter ounce parrot and uh with that minnow on there they just would slam it and took no no time at all to get uh, a meal of walleyes and four is all i need i caught some extra that big ones and all different sizes and i caught and released them but uh it's just fun and it's kind of rewarding when you get your own bait and then catch fish on it and so it, it, for many many years and oh this is this goes back a long time i've been fishing and seining and catching my own bait not commercially but just enough within the parameters of law what we're allowed to have and and store it and i find myself fishing streams riffly streams and when you're back there it's just like hunting you know it's it's kind of like grouse hunting whitetail hunting turkey hunting because you're back in viney brushy areas to try to get to that perfect spot on the stream or you're wading in the stream and uh you know it's 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 a real uh, fun time and and you have uh, flow through minnow buckets the plano minnow buckets the old yellow and white ones got them wrapped around your waist you got a couple of them and the real trick is to catch the minnow and push the lid open but you can't leave the lid open because they'll jump out and so a lot of minnows jump out of your hand uh when you're doing this but it's fun so catching your own bait and then catching a fish on your own bait is a lot of fun and actually uh have taken a few clients when it works it's too hard to do this every single day 
but I had some uh, good clients that I've had for many years, and they're late starters. So I picked them up on the lake that I actually fished, went out and got the minnows before I took them out and got them their limits of walleyes, and I showed them what I did, and they were amazed that it was that simple. And you couldn't find a shiner at any bait shop anywhere. If I can, I'd rather, you know, if, if I'm in a hurry, I'd rather just buy them because it does take a little bit of time. And the pursuit of good bait, good jigging bait, is just as fun as the, the fishing. And that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Bro, you inspired me with that story, enough to make me and my kids get out and catch some minnows for our upcoming camping trip down on the Missouri River. It was a lot of fun. We're going to have to do it again sometime. Special thanks to all the ambassadors who took time to record a great story during this really tough time in our world. Remember, the archive is there for everyone. Fishstories.org. Not just anglers, but people who have anglers they care about. If you're stuck inside with an angler, or if you have fishing stories of your own that you want to record for prosperity, sit down and push that record button on your voice recorder or your voice memo on your smartphone. It's really pretty easy, and you can email those stories to me. You can send them through Facebook Messenger. You can even upload them through the archive at fishstories.org. The archive is here to inspire, motivate, entertain, and captivate people, especially during a crisis. We're stuck in our houses. Take a time to get to know some anglers in the archive, and take some time to, to leave your own stories. It's really important for the future of fishing, and it's really important to our current mental health status as we go through the the COVID-19 kerfluffle. So take some time to yourself. Get out there and fish. Social distance. Be safe. And uh, we're going to come out of this on top. I hope these stories have inspired you to think positively about your own fishing career. Think about some of those positive memories that have been around and uh, to help us get through this crisis. I hope you consider recording some of your own as well, because as the archive grows, it becomes a better asset for the fishing community as a whole. So thanks to all the ambassadors for doing it. Thanks to everyone for listening to the Fish Stories podcast, and thanks for checking out the archive. Um, Can't wait to get through this crisis, and we're going to get through it together. Stay positive. Have a great day.